Chapter 2 of A Bullet for Cinderella by John D. MacDonald. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The lumber yard had looked reasonably prosperous. The retail hardware store was not what I expected. From talks with Timmy, I had expected a big place with five or six clerks and a stock that ranged from appliances and cocktail trays to deep well pumps and pipe wrenches. It was a narrow, dingy store, poorly lighted. There was an air of dust and defeat about it. It was on a side street off the less prosperous-looking end of Delaware Street. A clerk in a soiled shirt came to help me. I said I wanted to see Mr. Warden. The clerk pointed back toward a small office in the rear, where through glass I could see a man hunched over a desk. He looked up as I walked back to the office. The door was open. I could see the resemblance to Timmy, but Timmy, just before and for a short time after we were taken, had a look of bouncing vitality, good spirits. This man looked far older than the six years' difference Timmy had told me about. He was a big man, as Timmy had been. The wide, high forehead was the same, and the slightly beaked nose, and the strong, square jaw. But George Warden looked as though he had been sick for a long time. His color was bad. The stubble on the unshaven jaw was gray. His eyes were vague and troubled. And there was a raw smell of whiskey in the small office. Something I can do for you? My name is Tal Howard, Mr. Warden. I was a friend of Timmy's. You were a friend of Timmy's? He repeated it in an odd way. Apathetic and yet somehow cynical. I was with him when he died. So was Fitz. Sit down, Mr. Howard. Drink? I said I would have a drink. He pushed by my chair and went out to a sink. I heard him rinsing out a glass. He came back and picked a bottle off the floor in the corner and put a generous drink in each glass. Here's to Timmy, he said. To Timmy. Fitz got out of it. You got out of it. But Timmy didn't make it. I almost didn't make it. What did he actually die of? Fitz couldn't say. I shrugged. It's hard to tell. We didn't have medical care. He lost a lot of weight and resistance was down. He had a bad cold. He ran a fever and his legs got swollen. He began to have trouble breathing. It hurt him to breathe. A lot of them went like that. Nothing specific. Just a lot of things. There wasn't much you could do. He turned the dirty glass around and around. He should have come back. He would have known what to do. About what? I guess he told you about how we were doing before he left. He said you had a pretty good business. This store used to be over on Delaware. We moved about six months ago, sold the lease, sold my house, too. Still got the yard in this. The rest of it is gone. I felt uncomfortable. Business is bad, I guess. It's pretty good for some people. What business are you in? I'm not working right now. He smiled at me in a mirthless way. And I suppose you 
plan on sticking around a while. I'd thought of it. Did Fitz send for you? I don't know what you mean. I didn't know he was here. But you talked to him. He phoned me and said you'd probably be in for a little chat, and that you're an old friend of Timmy's. He's been working for me for nearly a year. I don't see how I can give you a job. There just isn't enough coming in. I couldn't swing it. I don't want a job, Mr. Warden. He kept smiling. His eyes were funny. I had the feeling that he was either very drunk or out of his head. Maybe something nice out of the store. We still have some nice things. I could unlock the gun rack for you. Need a nice over and under with gold inlay, French walnut stock? On the house. No, thanks. I don't understand, Mr. Warden. I knew Timmy, and I thought maybe it would be the right thing to do to just stop in and chat. Sure. But you went out to the yard first. Yes. I went out there because I put my car in a garage here, and I told the man I'd known Timmy in prison camp. He said there was another man here who'd been in the same place, Earl Fitzmartin. So I went out there and saw him. Then I came here. I could have come here first and then gone out there. I don't know why you think you have to give me a job or a gun or anything. He looked at me and then bent over and picked up the bottle again. He put some in both classes. Okay he said. So it's just like that. Pay no attention to me. Hardly anybody does anymore, except Fitz. He's a good worker. The yard makes a little money. That's a good thing, isn't it? Yes, I guess it is. It wasn't anything like the conversation I had expected. He was a strange man. He seemed defeated and yet amused, as though amused at his own defeat. Timmy talked a lot about Hilston, I said. I guess he did. He lived here most of his life. Though I didn't feel right about it, I took the plunge. We had a lot of time to talk. They made us go to lectures and read propaganda and write reports on what we read. But the rest of the time, we talked. I feel as though I know Hilston pretty well, even though the girls he used to go with, Ruth Stam, Janice Courier, Cindy somebody. Sure, he said, softly, half-smiling. Ruthie Stam. And it was Judith, not Janice Courier. Those were two of them, nice girls. But the last couple of years before he went away, he stopped running around so much. Stuck closer to the business. Lots of nights, he'd work on the books. He was getting almost too serious to suit me. Wasn't there one named Cindy? He frowned and thought and shook his head. No, Cindy, I know of. Either of those other two would have made him a good wife. Ruthie is still around town, still single. Judy got married and moved away. El Paso, I think. Either one of them would have made him a better wife than the one I got stuck with, Eloise. He talk about her? He mentioned her a few times. She's gone. I know. Fitz told me. Lovely little Eloise. 
two-faced bitch. While you're around, stop in again, any time. We'll have a nice little chat. I'm usually here. Hell, I used to have a lot of other things to do. Zoning board, chamber of commerce, rotary. Always on the run, always busy. Now, I have a lot of time. All the time in the world. I was dismissed. I walked back through the narrow store to the street door. The clerk leaned against one of the counters near the front, picking his teeth with a match. It felt good to get back out into the sunlight. The cheap liquor had left a bad taste in my mouth. It was too early to go after the car. I went to the nearest bar I could find and ordered an ale. It was a dark place, full of brown and violet shadows, with deer antlers on the wall and some dusty mounted fish. Two elderly men played checkers at a corner table. The bartender was a dwarf. The floor was built up behind the bar to bring him up to the right height. I sipped the ale and thought about fits, about my own unexpectedly violent reaction that had been made ludicrous by his superior strength. I had not thought that I cared enough. It was a long time since camp. But he had brought it all back. The time with him had not been pure fiasco, however. I sensed that I had won a very small victory in the talk that had followed the one-sided fight. He was not certain of where I stood, how much I knew. The talk with George had cancelled that small victory. George puzzled me. There was a curious undercurrent in his relationship with Fitz, something I could not understand. Bartenders are good sources of information. I sensed that the little man was watching me, trying to figure out who I was. I signaled for a refill. When he brought my glass back from the beer tap, I said, What do people do for excitement around this town? He had a high, thin voice. Stranger in town, are you? It's pretty quiet. Saturday night, there's things going on here and there. Not much on a weekday. There's some that drive all the way to Reading. There's gambling there, but it's crooked. Then it's easier to meet women there than here. You a salesman? I needed a quick answer, and I suddenly remembered something that Fitz had said, to give me my gimmick, ready-made and reasonably plausible. I'm working on a book. He showed a quick interest. Writer, are you? What's there here to write about? Historical stuff? No, it's a different kind of book. I was taken prisoner in Korea. Some of the boys died there, boys I knew. This book is a sort of personal history of those boys. You know, the way they lived, what they did, what they would have come back to if they'd lived. One of them is from this town, Timmy Warden. Hell, did you know Timmy? My God, that was a shame. There was a good kid. I've been talking to his brother, George, just down the street. The little man clucked and shook his head. George has just plain gone to hell the last year or so. He and Timmy had a pretty good setup, too. A couple of good businesses. But then George's wife left him. Then he got word Timmy was dead. It took the heart out of him, I guess. He's got about one-tenth the business he used to have. And he won't have that long if he keeps hitting the bottle. Buck Stam's girl has been trying to straighten him out. But she's wasting her time. But that Ruthie is stubborn, I tell you. 
if Timmy had made it back, and if he'd waited until now, he'd have a long uphill fight. George has been selling stuff off and piddling away the money he gets. Lives in a room at White's Hotel. Gets drunk enough to be picked up every now and then. For a while there, they'd just take him home because he used to be an important man in this town. Now they let him sober up in the can. One of the old men playing checkers said, Stump, you talk too damn much. Watch a game, Stump said. Get some kings. Let smart people talk in peace, Willie. He turned back to me and said, How do you figure on writing up to me? Oh, just the way he lived, where he was born, interview his school teachers, talk to the girls he dated. Stump glanced at the checker players and then hunched himself over the bar and spoke in a tone so low they couldn't hear him. Stump wore a sly smirk as he talked. Now, I wouldn't stand back of this, and it isn't anything you could put in your book. But I heard it from a pretty good source that before Timmy took off into the army, he and that Eloise Warden were a little better than just plain friends. Know what I mean? She was a good-looking piece, and you can hardly blame the kid if she was right there asking for it. She was no good anyway. She took off with a salesman, and nobody's seen or heard from her since. He backed away and gave me a conspiratorial smile. Of course, George wouldn't know anything about it. Like they say, he'd be the last to know. Are there any other relatives in town beside George? Not a one. Their daddy died six or seven years ago. George got married right after that. Then the three of them, George, Timmy, and Eloise, stayed right on in the old warden place. George sold that this year. man named Siler bought it. He chopped it up into apartments, I hear. I talked with him for another half hour, but he didn't have very much to add. He asked me to stop around again. I liked the atmosphere of his bar, but I didn't like him. He was a little too eager to prove he knew everything, particularly the unsavory details. When I got back to the garage a little after three, my car was ready. I paid for the work. It ran smoothly on the way back to the motel south of town. Once I was in my room with the door shut, I reviewed everything that had happened. Though I had told my lie about riding up Timmy on impulse, I couldn't see how it could hurt anything. In fact, it might make things a good deal easier. I decided that I'd better buy some kind of pocket notebook and write things down so that my story would stand up a little better. There was no reason why Timmy and the others like him shouldn't be written up. I remembered that a magazine had done the same sort of thing with the progressives who refused repatriation. So why not the dead? They would be more interesting than the turncoats, who almost without exception fell into two groups. They were either ignorant and very nearly feeble-minded, or they were neurotic, out of balance, with a lifelong feeling of having been rejected. The dead were more interesting. My one abortive attempt to find Cindy had failed. Using the cover story of writing up Timmy, I should be able to find her. From what Timmy had said, she was a girl who would know of a special hiding place. And the money was there. Unless Eloise had taken it. I was puzzled by Fitz's insistence that she hadn't taken it. When I went back into town for dinner, I bought a notebook in a drugstore. At dinner, I filled three pages with notes. I could have filled more. Timmy had talked a lot. There hadn't been much else to do. 
I went to a movie, but I couldn't keep my mind on it. The next person to talk to was Ruth Stam. I could see her the next morning. But back in the motel room, I took another look at Ruth Stam. I took her picture out of the back of my wallet. Tomorrow, Friday, I would see her for the first time in the flesh. I had looked at this picture a thousand times. Timmy had showed it to me in camp. I remembered the day we sat with our backs against a wall in watery sunshine, and he took the picture out and showed it to me. That's the one, Tal. I didn't have sense enough to stay with her. That's the good one, Tal. Ruthie Stam. They had taken my papers away from me, including the shots of Charlotte. I held the picture of Ruthie Stam, turning it toward the pale sunshine. It was cracked but none of the cracks touched her face. It was in color, and the colors had faded and changed. She sat on her heels and scratched the joyous belly of a blonde cocker while she laughed up into the camera eye. She wore yellow shorts and a halter top, and her laughter was fresh and good and shared. In some crazy way, it became our picture, Timmy's and mine. I took it off his body after he died, and it became mine. It represented an alien world of sanity and kindness and strength. I looked at it often. Now I took it out again and lay it on the motel bed and looked at it in the lamplight and felt a tingle of anticipation. For the first time I permitted myself to wonder if this pilgrimage to Hilston was in part due to the, the picture of a girl I had never seen and to wonder if this picture had something to do with the death of love for Charlotte. I put the picture away. It took a long time to get to sleep, but the sleep that came was deep and good. End of chapter 2